Good morning. It's good to see every one of y'all out there. We want to welcome you to Union Baptist Church. So uh, if you can find your seats, we'll go ahead and get started with our scripture reading this morning. For our call to worship, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 14 through 30 and kind of deal with an, a, an issue here of, of stewardship. So I want you to have that idea, that theme of stewardship in the back of your mind as we read through this this morning. But uh, we do want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. And uh, if you need to use a pew Bible, it'll be on page 780. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, also, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid... And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into, into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously one of the takeaways from this story would be that we want to be faithful stewards over the things that God's entrusted us with. And as we've learned over the, the course of the preaching here, We've all been gifted, if we're believers in Christ, we've all been gifted with a grace gift for service within the church. And so we want to be those, those faithful stewards over what God's given us. And we want to take what God's entrusted us with, talents and abilities and giftings. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's, it's a skill set to help other people. Uh, we want to take those things, we want to multiply those things, and we want to use them to bless God's people. We do not want to be like the servant on the, on the day of judgment and we say, you know, God, you gifted me, but I was really fearful and I just chose not to use it. So we want to be faithful to those things that, that God has, has given us and, and uh, be faithful in our stewardship. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. God, we're thankful for the encouragement that when you've given us things and we use them for your glory, we receive a greater reward. 
We're thankful, God, uh, for the encouragement to make use of what you've given us, for the reminder, because we, we need it this morning, God, as we uh, just are aware of ourselves that, God, we tend toward uh, inactivity. We tend, O oh God, toward making excuses within our own heart. We tend, O oh God, uh, toward being uh, sedentary rather than being at work, God. And, and, and so I just pray it's a, uh, an unflattering tendency within your people. But God, we, we, we have to recognize it. We have to see it and we have to own it this morning that left to ourselves without your encouragements, without the Spirit at work prompting us and your word uh, prodding us along, God, we would, we would not be good stewards of what you've given us. And so we want to please you. We want to hear your commendation well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so, God, would you help us? Would you incline our hearts, as Solomon said in his, his prayer and benediction, would you incline our hearts to you that we would make good use of what you've given us? God, we recognize that as your people called out of sin, sanctified, set apart, saved, and gifted with the Holy Spirit, that we have a part to play in the faithful ministry of the Word and the health of Union Baptist Church and the outreach into Hancock County and abroad and so god i pray that you would that you would stir the hearts of your people that we would hear the encouragement that we would also fear lord the threat that is made that if we are like the servant who doesn't make use of what's been giving that that, that will be taken away and will be cast out of your kingdom god we don't want to be that person we don't want to be self-deceived god and so we pray this morning that you would draw a clear line that you would send a clear message that you oh god would help your people to hear your voice and to follow you and to, to obey you and to make use of what you've given. God, that we would not be self-deceived, that we would not be those who hide what you've given, that cower in fear, Lord, but rather that through fear and reverence we would serve diligently. And we ask that you would enable us to do so. God, we pray and plead that you would make the word effective this morning as it's sung, as it's preached, as it's listened to. We want to be those who hear the word and practice it, not those who listen to the word and deceive themselves. We pray against that. We pray that you would bind every influence that would uh, distract, that you would, that you would bar the birds of the air from coming and plucking the word up this morning. God, we pray that you would cultivate the soil of our hearts and minds, of our children's hearts and minds. God, of the oldest people's hearts and minds and all those in between, that we would be a soil prepared to bear fruit as your word is preached, God. We want to be stewards that make good use of what you've given. Help us to do so for your glory and for our good. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Just remember, as we pray this morning, we've been trying to emphasize each week uh, the fact that you and I are missionaries, that we are called uh, to advance the kingdom of God through sharing the gospel message. As Jesus says, also through, through letting our light so shine among men that, that they see our good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. So we want to pray this morning that as we give toward the cause of missions, uh, that we would keep that in mind that we, we are missionaries as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would raise up in Union Baptist Church many people uh, who would be faithful to let their light shine in this community more than just by doing good deeds, although that is necessary, Lord, we pray that you would raise up many people who would be bold enough to share and proclaim the message of the gospel, the, the only way of salvation. Lord, we know that unless the people in our community hear the gospel, they'll never believe. They, they must hear it. And we know that they'll never hear it unless we tell them. 
And so we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be faithful in this work, in this task that you've called us to. God, we pray as we give this morning, we, we thank you for the ways that you've blessed us. We pray that you would help us to be faithful, to be good stewards, as Jared said, of, of what you've given to us and, and help us to be generous, Lord. We know that you love generous givers. And so we, we pray that the money that is given this morning would be wisely and, and faithfully used for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray for those missionaries that we support and ask for your hand to be upon them and, and that they would see you at work uh, through the ministry you've called them to do. God, we ask all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ruth. Be reading in, in Ruth chapter 1. We'll start at verse 22 just because it kind of goes with the next chapter there, but we're continuing our series through, through this book this morning. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse number 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her uh, roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also put out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and went into the city. Her mother-in-law said that, saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken, forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. We remember last week that we really focused on the first part of this story, which was so really dark. It was, we, we called it a hard providence or a series of hard providences that had, had come from the Lord. And, and we remember that it, it was the time of the judges, which in and of itself was a dark providence. This was a time in which people did what was right in their own eyes. It was a time of rebellion. We remember that Naomi lived during a time of, of famine. That was a judgment that God had brought because of the rebellion of his people, which he had, he had told them in the law, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, if you worship other gods, then I will bring rebuke. I will bring judgment upon you. And that famine was no doubt as part of God's judgment. And then there were forces in their mind, part of that famine that led Naomi to, to leave the land of Israel, to leave her hometown of Bethlehem, and to go to a foreign country, to go to Moab, just in hope that her and her husband and her two sons uh, would be able to find food in, in this country. But once there, you remember, that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And then after that, her two sons, uh, they, they take Moabite wives, which was really not a good thing for them to do. They were, they were not to marry people from the other nations, because that always involved them in, in idolatry. But, but you, you wonder if Naomi at that point, uh, and we, we can maybe read a little into this story or, or use our imagination a little bit, but you wonder if Naomi's been had a hard life, they've moved away from their land, they go to this, this foreign land, and once there her husband dies, you, you just wonder if Naomi just kind of gave up. Perhaps Elimelech had a plan. We're going to go there for a while, and we're going to come back, uh, but but once there, he he dies, and so Naomi just just gives up, and she allows her her two sons to marry these Moabite women, and then we found that tragedy struck again. We're not told how or what the circumstances were, but both of her sons die as well, and uh, so Naomi, there she is, away from everything that she's known in a foreign land outside of the promise and protection and provision of God, uh, in somewhat, I think, some, some state of rebellion against God, and she is left desolated. She is left with nothing. But those were the first five verses, and, and really the rest of the book of Ruth, from, from that moment on, 
we begin to see the hand of the Lord turn in the life of Naomi. And we looked at some of that uh, last week. From, from that moment forward, seemingly in small ways and at times in imperceptible ways, God begins to work for Naomi, for her, her good, to bring about blessing in her life. You, you see, it starts as a, a story of tragedy, but it quickly turns. The rest of the book is a story all about how God cares for his people. And that's what we see. It begins in verse number six of chapter one, uh, where it says that the Lord visited his people and gave them food. Chapter one, verse six. That's, that's what sets all of these events sort of into motion as they're in Moab. Ruth hears, or Naomi rather, hears uh, that the Lord has visited his people. Isn't that in itself just kind of a sweet expression? The visitation of the Lord. The Lord has drawn near to his people. He's visited his people. Now, there are times in the Bible where that term and that expression can mean that the Lord comes in judgment. The Lord visits his people in judgment. But, but here it's a wonderful picture, meaning that God had once again come to be with his people in a unique and a special way that, that he had returned to them, that, that this time of judgment, that this time of famine, that this time of drought has come to an end. The Lord once again had visited his people he's no longer distant he's no longer away from his people but he's once again drawn near to him and I just think there's an important point to be made even in that and that is this that God's discipline does not last forever we we saw and I think rightfully so that that Na, that Naomi sees all of these events as as part of God's judgment, part of God's discipline in her life. The, the hand of the Lord is against me. God has testified against me. Naomi recognized that there were some sins in her life that perhaps she felt drew uh, the judgment and the discipline of God. But what we see here is that God's discipline comes to an end. That, that that is not God's final word for his children. He doesn't leave us in that condition. It's as the psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse 5, David says this, for his anger, the anger of the Lord is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The hand of the Lord may come in judgment. The hand of the Lord may come in discipline in your life, but, but that will not be God's final word on your life. God will bring blessing. God will turn uh, once again. David understood that. Naomi understood that as well, or she's being uh, brought to, to understand that in these, in these things. You know, one of the things that we're tempted to believe, I think, sometimes in the midst of hard providences is to believe that this is it. This is God's final word. You, you know, I, I'm saying that these things are seasonal. There are seasons in which God disciplines us. There are seasons of hard providences, but they, they come to an end. But, but make no mistake, those seasons can be prolonged times, can they not? I mean, with, with Naomi, we're, we're talking about years and years of time that she spent under the disciplining hand of the Lord. But this story is a story about how God is turning that and how God is once again coming back to his people, once again visiting his people, once again restoring his blessing upon his people. Because God drew near to his people, his people were then drawn near to him. It was because God visited his people that Naomi is drawn back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, but 
because God had not been there, Bethlehem was not a house of bread. Bethlehem was a city in which there was not enough bread. That's why Naomi is driven out. But do you see the problem with that was that the Lord had removed his blessing. That's why there was no bread. It wasn't about being in a, in a special city as if this city is unique in some way. What was unique about that place was that God had promised to bless his people there. It's a house of bread, but under God's judgment, under God's discipline, there had been no bread. Now God once again comes back and God restores his blessing. And because of that restored blessing, Naomi is drawn back to Bethlehem. It becomes once again a, a house of bread. You know, God's hand of blessing is a sweet invitation for us to return to him. God does bring discipline in our life, but, but I think God's choicest way of drawing his servant, to, of drawing his children back to him is through his kindness. I'm reminded of Romans chapter two, verse four, that says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see, God's discipline, I think what God's discipline does is to expose your sin. So, sometimes we're so dense. Sometimes we're so uh, oblivious to our sin. God's discipline brings us, our face right to the fact that you're sinning against me. You're, you've rebelled against me. But it is God's kindness in Christ that draws us back to him. And that's what happens with Naomi and, and with Ruth. God's kindness, God's kind providences draw us back to him. Secondly, this morning, we see that God's kind providence comes come in seemingly random events. We talked about providence last week and how God is governing all things, how he's in control of all things. Uh, one of the, the catechisms that we read said it this way. So, so God rules, God so rules all things that the leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. We, we saw that last week, and yet we see that in the story of, of Naomi and of Ruth, that there are some seemingly some seemingly random or chance events that work out for, for their good. We see this, first of all, just in the time of year that they return in verse 22, that they return at the, at the time of the barley harvest, right when, the, right when people would be gleaning. But then we, we see this later on in chapter 2, verse 3, where it says this in chapter 2, verse 3, so she set out when Ruth goes out into the field, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now that word there is actually two words in the Hebrew, in the original language, and it's actually two words that both mean chance. It's as if he's saying, chance, chance, this happened. Uh, I think the writer there is using a little bit of irony because what we see in the story of Ruth and Naomi is that there's no chance at all, that God is ruling all things. So, so when he says here uh, that, that she just happened to come to the field that belonged to Boaz, who happened to be one of the close relatives of Elimelech, someone who, who really under the Old Testament law would have been uh, a, a redeemer, someone who would care for uh, the, the spouse and the widows uh, of those close relatives who, who had passed away. I think what, what is going on here is there's a little bit of irony. The writer's telling this story. He's like, I want you to see this. She just happened to feel, come to the field of Boaz. It was no 
mistakes. Sometimes God's kindness show up in, in what really are imperceptible ways, like his guidance over events that are even seemingly random to us. To think about all that's riding on this decision. We know the rest of the story unfolds from here. She meets Boaz. Boaz speaks kindly to her and, and so on. The rest of the story unfolds and we'll, we'll get there and, and some amazing things happen. But really all of it is riding right now on this decision as far as what field she goes to. And the writer just tells us she happened to show up at, at Boaz's field. Think about all that's riding on this decision. In, in human terms, the, the rest of their lives will be impacted by this moment, by this decision. Which field do I go to? There are fields out here. There was a law that, that, that those who were destitute could come and glean behind uh, the owners of the field and, and kind of pick up the scraps, anything that would be left over. And so Ruth says, I'm going to go out and do this. And she's just looking for a field. She doesn't know who's going to allow her to do that. And she just happens to show up at the field of Boaz. So, so the rest of this story, the rest of the good things that are going to happen, the pro provision that Boaz gives, the, the marriage that comes, the child that comes, everything that happens after this comes as a result of this seemingly random decision. In human terms, we know the, the, the rest of this story unfolds and this is someone who's in the lineage of King David. King David is born as a result of, of Ruth's decision to go to this field. And we know that from King David came the lineage of, of Christ. Christ, the Messiah, came as a result of this random decision by Ruth to end up in this field. But, but you see, it wasn't random at all. It wasn't random at all. It wasn't chance or luck. It was the kind providence of God leading Ruth right to the field, right at the right field at the right time so that she, this plan could unfold. God had a plan to bless Naomi and to bless Ruth and to bless their family. God had a plan to raise up King David and God had a plan to raise up our Messiah, to raise up the, the Christ. And, and in this moment, although Ruth doesn't see it and Naomi has no idea this is going on, God is behind the scenes working all of this out. It is a very kind providence of God. I think one of the application points we need to see is just simply to recognize there are so many of those kind of events that to us seem random, that seem like chance events in our life that we need to be thankful for. Because they're not random at all. They're not, they're not just chance events at all. God is ruling and God is reigning and God is working in our life to bring about His plan for us. Think about the things in, in, in your life that have happened. You, you get this job offer instead of that one. You happen to be born here instead of there to, to this family who would point you to Christ. If the timing had been slightly different, you, you wouldn't have found the godly spouse that God had for you. I think in my own life, that's one thing that I see God bringing me and Bonnie at the same place at the same time through disconnected sort of random events, so to speak. But it was God's plan and God has blessed me greatly through that. And God does that all the time. God's kind providence has come to us even through seemingly random events. Thirdly, God's kind providences work through our work. They God works through our work. God doesn't work apart from us. You, you notice here with Ruth, 
that Ruth doesn't sit back and just say, listen, I'm, I've come under the wings of Yahweh for blessing, and so I'm just going to sit back and wait for, wait for that to happen. You see, the doctrine of God's providence, the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty should never lead us to a place where we get just passive. Well, I don't need to obey. I don't need to actually do anything because if God's going to do it, he's going to do it. Now, is it true that if God's going to do it, he's going to do it? Absolutely. But it's also true that if God is going to do it, he most often is going to work through us, through, through normal, ordinary means. And that's what we see in the life of Ruth. Ruth gets a plan together. She recognizes if we're going to eat, I need to get out to the fields. And so in verse 2, we see that she tells Naomi, I, I want to go out to the field and I'm going to, I'm going to glean. And then we see in verses 4 through 7 that she works hard. She doesn't just show up and hope that somebody will, will give something to her. She works all day. Boaz shows up and says, who is this woman? They're like, man, she's been working all day long. She took a short break. But other than that, it's, it's, it's Ruth. And she's been working very hard. And then even after lunch, she continues to work throughout the, the day. We see that she had confidence in the Lord. She, she knew that God would bless her, but she knew that God would bless her through her work. And so you see in, in verse number two, she, she has a confidence about her. Let me go to the field. She's respecting her elder there, uh, Naomi. And so she's asking permission. Let me glean among the ears of grain after him in whose, in whose sight I shall find favor. You hear that confidence in, in Ruth's plan? I've got a plan. I'm going to work. I'm going to go find favor in, in somebody's sight. And I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get us some food. She, she has a confidence in God's work and God's sovereignty. And yet at the same time, it doesn't make her her passive. If Ruth doesn't get up early in the morning, go to the field, none of the rest of the story happens. If Ruth doesn't, doesn't work hard, perhaps Boaz doesn't recognize her. If, if Ruth had not treated her, her mother-in-law with such kindness and such care, then Boaz would not have heard of that and, and, and been inclined maybe to, to help her in the way that he did. I just think we need to recognize in, in every area of our life that this is true. God is sovereign and God is working out a plan, but that does not mean that we should be passive in any area of our life. Listen, we, we need to be active. We trust in the Lord. We know that he's ruling. We know that he's reigning, but we don't become passive in that we must never allow the truth of God's providence to lead us to passivity or to disobedience thirdly we see that God's kind providence works for the good of those who take shelter under his wing so often this story is presented merely as a story really of, of human love, whether it's the love of Ruth for Naomi or the love of Boaz for Ruth and Ruth for, for Boaz. But, but I think the, the writer of this story would have us see that uh, the love of these characters for the Lord. You know, Ruth had a love for Naomi and part of Ruth's love for Naomi is part of what drew her to Naomi and drew her to the people of God and led her to, to lead her, leave her family behind and come under the wings of, of Yahweh, as uh, Boaz says. But Ruth's, Ruth's affections were not only warm toward Naomi, but the text would also indicate that her love for the Lord is part of what drew her to the people of God. 
Naomi, no doubt, was the relationship that God used in, in her life to bring Ruth to himself. Uh, but, but Ruth did come to the Lord. You see her vow back in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. She doesn't just say, uh, Ruth or Naomi, I'm going with you. I'm sticking close to you. I love you. I care for you. No, no, she says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You see, Ruth had made a decision on that road to come under, uh, to come to the Lord for refuge. You see that in chapter 2, verse 12, where Boaz says, she says to Boaz, why have I found favor in your sight? And Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You see, he's recognizing, I've heard all about your kindness to, to, to Naomi, and I've heard about all these things, and I've also heard that you have come to the Lord. You have come to him for refuge. You see, this, this means that Ruth recognized her desperate situation and her great need, and among all of her options, to, to try to meet her needs, she turned to the Lord for refuge. You remember, there, Ruth wasn't the only one on that road that day. There was another young woman, Orpah, her, her sister, uh, who, who also was there. And, and Orpah, her sister, did not make the same decision. This, this was not really the best choice, humanly speaking. The best thing for, for, for uh, Ruth to do would have been for her to return to her home for her to go back to the house of her mother. Naomi even told her that. She said, don't come with, don't come with me. Go back to the house of your mother. Go back to your relatives. There's no benefit. You're going to be a foreigner here, and I have nothing to offer you. This was not the best choice for her. Her best option was not to join up with a depressed old widow who had very limited prospects. Her best option was not to go to a foreign land and to assume a position of destitution dependent upon the goodwill of people she did not know and who were likely not to view her in a favorable light. That was not her best option. People in her position coming in as a foreigner would have been likely to be forgotten and abused. And we even see that with Boaz's concern, like, be careful out in the field. Stay near my young men. I've, I've commanded them to protect you and not to touch you. This would have been a very vulnerable position. Yet despite all of that, there was something compelling Ruth in that moment to come under Yahweh's wings, to seek the Lord. She entrusted herself to Yahweh for provision and for protection. You see, God's kind providence works for the good of those who love him. Sometimes I think we, we forget that. We, we quote Romans 8.28 and we say that all things work together for good and we just kind of take that snippet out. But, but you remember there's more to that verse than, than just that little snippet, right? There, there's a lot more to that verse, but one of the things that is more to that verse is that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who, like Ruth, come to Yahweh, who come to the Lord for refuge. Those who turn to him are those who find this blessing. As I mentioned earlier, Ruth is experiencing, as we see the, the story unfold, she's going to experience the miraculous and unbelievable blessings of God. But the reason that is, is because she's come to the Lord. You remember that Orpah, 
was part of that story as well. She did not receive all of these blessings. We don't know what happened to Orpah. We don't know the rest of the story. What she did was not necessarily wrong. Uh, She listened to her mother-in-law. She turned back. She went to her family, which was, humanly speaking, the smart thing to do. And yet, in doing that, she failed to see that Yahweh was really the source of blessing. And Ruth clearly saw that and turned to the Lord. And so I think this morning, one of the things that we need to consider is is where we are. How about you? Have you entrusted your life to the Lord? Have you turned to the Lord for blessing? Are you seeking Him? This kind providence that that I'm telling you about, it it doesn't just work for everyone. It it isn't for all people. It is for those who come to the Lord through Jesus Christ, who put their faith in Him. It is through Christ and our faith in Him that we receive these kind providences. And then finally this morning, we see that kind providences work through the loyal love of His people. One of the One of the major themes, I would say, of the book of Ruth is this idea of loyal love. You know, one of the elements of of authentic love is its loyalty. The, The true test of love is to see what happens when there's nothing to be gained by the one who loves. In other words, when there's something that I get in return for my love, Uh, then my love really hasn't been tested to the limit. It hasn't been stretched to the limit. I mentioned Bonnie earlier, and I I love Bonnie. She's my wife, and she loves me, and that's good. Uh, But, you know, I get an awful lot of return on my love. I probably get way more return on my love than than I deserve. Uh, Bonnie is kind. She cares for our our family so well. You you see, there's some reciprocity. There's, There's something that I get back for my love but there's there's another kind of love that that is selfless a, a kind of love that is committed to the person whether or not i get anything in in return there are other times when when our love has very little to gain think about the husband who loves his wife who who's aging and has alzheimer's right the the wife can't even remember his name uh, there, she's in need of constant care and supervision and yet a husband loves his wife and that there, there's nothing he's getting back really from that. That's the kind of loyal love that we're, we're talking about. And that's the kind of loyal, committed, faithful love that we see throughout the book of, of Ruth. The, the Bible has a word for that kind of, of love. The Hebrew word is hesed. And it, and it means covenant love or, or faithful love. It's most fully it's talking about God's love for, for his people. It's a love that is faithful and true, a love that remains steadfast no matter if there's anything to be gained or not. Daryl Block says this of of Hesed or or covenant love. He says this is a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts. All the positive attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant, uh, covenant faithfulness. In short, It is that quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to advantage it might bring to the one who expressed it. And that's what we see throughout the book of of Ruth. Ruth shows this kind of love to Naomi. There's nothing to be benefited. Her best option is to go back 
back to her land and take care of herself and let Naomi go on and somebody else, that's somebody else's problem. But, but Ruth acts in hesed, in loving kindness, in covenant love toward Naomi. And then we see uh, that, that Boaz, in our, in our text this morning, we see Boaz expressing this kind of love toward, uh, toward Ruth. In chapter 2, uh, we see this in, in verse 20 that, that Ruth or Naomi recognizes that Boaz has expressed this kind of love. May, may, he who's, uh, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, whose faithful love has not forsaken the living or the dead. You see, what we see in Boaz is that Boaz was a godly man. He's in this text, he's, he's a godly character. We see in verse 1 of chapter 2 that it, it says that he's a worthy man. And this has the idea that sort of he was the upper crust, but it also has the idea of, of the fact that he was a man of honor, that he had sterling character. Boaz, we also see that, that he had responded faithfully in, in the midst of adversity. One of the things that I like to think about in this story is the fact that the same famine and some of the same adversity that, that Ruth had been through and Elimelech had been through, uh, Boaz had been through as well. But you see, it didn't have the effect of making him bitter as, as it did Naomi. And then we see Boaz's character in the gracious way that he speaks uh, to, to his workers even. In verse 4, he speaks kindly to his servants. May the Lord bless you. And they, they clearly have an affection for, for Boaz. But then most clearly we see this character in the way that he cares for, for Ruth, who's a destitute foreigner. He, he really treats her as a daughter. I think we're quick, again, in this story, we're quick to read sort of romantic love into all of that. And I think that's our, I think we've watched too many Hallmark movies or something, uh, and, and we really have this mindset of, of romantic love. But, but what you need to see that Boaz's love for Ruth is not at first some kind of romantic physical attraction. We see in verse 8, look at chapter 2 and verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Boaz is treating, he's, he, there's an age difference. He's older than, than Ruth. He's treating her like a daughter. And, and he's not doing that because he's looking to get anything re, in return. This, we would really misread this story if we see some kind of sinister intentions in Boaz thinking that maybe, oh, she's attractive. I think I'm going to pursue her. That's not on his radar at all. This is simply an act of kindness that Boaz gives to someone who really doesn't deserve it for any particular reason and, and in it, who's in no position to kind of demand it. Boaz, even we see he, he even delights in, in Ruth's virtue. In verse 11, it tells us, it tells us why he, uh, why he showed this favor to her. Why does he show this hesed, this faithful covenant love to someone who's a stranger? Look at verse 11 uh, again. And let me jump there. It says, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully to told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So, so Ruth asked him, why, why are you showing this kindness to me? He's saying, because I've heard of your virtue. I've heard of the way that you have, have loved Naomi and how you have cared. And I want to repay that. I, I, I want to show that, that that is worthy. You see, in, in Boaz's actions, what we see is that he's really, he's really reflecting the character of God by expressing this kind of love 
to, to Naomi or to Ruth rather. Remember in the Old Testament, one of God's main commands to the Old Testament people was, you should be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in Boaz, that's what we're seeing. Boaz is mirroring or is emulating the very character of God. We remember in in several places in the law, God had told them, you are to love the sojourner. You are to love the one who is a foreigner because you were foreigners and I loved you. Be holy for I am holy. Be like me. Do what I've done. Reflect my character. I loved you. We see in Deuteronomy 10, 19, Exodus 22, 21, Leviticus 19, 34. You shall treat the sojourner and the strainer uh, the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. And you should do that, he says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So be like me. And so when Boaz is showing this kindness to, to Ruth, he's simply reflecting the character of God. The statement that we see in chapter 2, verse 1, that he was a, a worthy man is just being expressed in this way. He's reflecting the holy character of God. He's also really becoming the answer to his own prayer. You see in verse 12, he he prays a blessing over Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. So he's praying this blessing over Ruth. But, But the interesting thing is, that he immediately begins to take action to answer that prayer. He becomes the answer to his own prayer. He's expressing this this love to her. Ruth's blessing uh, in in chapter 2, verse 20, that we saw earlier, uh, may he, let's read that again, and It says, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Uh, It seems there that that Ruth, or or Naomi rather, is giving praise to the Lord. May the Lord be blessed who has not forsaken, whose loving kindness, that faithful love has not forsaken the living or the dead. But, But really that verse could, it could be that she's talking about Boaz or it could be that she's talking about the Lord. I think what that tension that we're seeing there is meant to show us that that really Boaz is just simply reflecting the character of God. He's acting as God would. You see, what I think we should see as application to this is that God uses us to express his love toward those who are in need. I think Boaz is a model for us. We ought to be the kind of people who are like Boaz, who are expressing God's love. We ought to be a conduit for God's love that it might flow to us, to those who are in need. All through the Old Testament, there there are sins that God is dealing with, with his people, sins like idolatry. But one of the great sins of the people of the Old Testament is that they did not show this kind of faithful love to those who were in need. They oppressed those who were in need. They took advantage of those who were in need. They ignored those who were in need. And that's why when when Christ comes uh, in, in the New Testament, one of the things that he repeatedly points them to is their failure to love their neighbor. He says, you, you do all these sacrifices and you, you are very careful about how you tithe. Even uh, small, minute things, you, you are sure that you follow those ritualist, ritualistic laws to the T and yet you neglect the weightier matters of the law. 
like justice and mercy. You fail to show loving kindness to those who are in need. Jesus said that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor. And that's what Boaz is doing in this moment. It is really God's love in us. And I think that's what we're seeing in Boaz. It's God's love in Boaz that that is overflowing and being a conduit. He's being a conduit for God's love to flow to others. And that's what we ought to be. You know, sometimes all people need around us who are hurting, who are in those hard providences. Sometimes all they need is God's love to flow from us to them. I, I notice, I think there's, there's a remarkable, there's a, a remarkable turnaround in, in uh, Naomi's perspective. You remember how bitter Naomi has been. But once again, you see in verse 20, she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. You see, up to that moment, up to that moment, Naomi had been saying, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord, his hand is against me. The Lord is against me. But this one little small act of kindness from Boaz to Ruth and then to Naomi, that one act of kindness is able to bring her out of this and say, blessed be the Lord, he's not forgotten us. I'm not forgotten. The Lord remembers me. And do you see how it was? Boaz was the means that God used to get that message to Naomi. And what I'm saying this morning is that's what we need to be. We need to be that message of love, God's love flowing in us and through us to others. God has not forsaken me. God is, he's not left me. He's not forgotten about me. I was talking to to Bonnie yesterday and she reminded me of something Martin Luther said. He said, God does not need our love, but our neighbors do. And that is so true. Naomi was in desperate need of God's love. Ruth was in desperate need of the love of of Boaz and his care for them. And there are people around you. There are people in this church. There are people in our community who are hurting. There are people who are in the midst of hard providences. And God would have us be the means of his love flowing to them. I think so often we we fail to realize that. I think so often we fail to see that that it doesn't take much, that that it doesn't take much more than just a little bit of barley and some leftovers. And here Naomi, her perspective is completely flipped upside down. It's completely changed. But just by this small act of love on the part of Boaz, may God make us people who are conduits of, of his love. And may God help us see that he is faithful. I think what we should take away from this as we begin to see it unfold is just to remember that God is faithful to his people. He doesn't forget them. Naomi felt like God had forgotten her. God had not forgotten her. And you may be here this morning and you may think, man, I'm in the middle of all these trials. I'm in the middle of all these difficulties. God has forgotten me. God has not forgotten you. If you're his child, Romans 8.28 really is true. He really is working all things out for your good. May God give us faith to trust him in that.